1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, tonight I want to talk uh, with you about the glory that is coming and has already begun uh, in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, but will be made consummate in the return of our Savior. Remember that we've been talking in this chapter about a couple things. Number one, we were talking about humility. We were talking about the need to submit to one another, to elders in the church. Uh, Peter speaks here in this chapter as a, what he calls a fellow elder, not as a pope. Looking down on others, he says here that he is a fellow elder, meaning that there was a parity here with uh, the elders in the church though uh, Peter often was the chief spokesman uh, among the disciples. He says here that the elders are to exercise oversight over the church, not lording it over them, but exercising their um, office by acting as shepherds, trying to uh, feed the flock, guard the flock, uh, provide medicine for the sick, help the, those that are straying, to bring them back, uh, to do all of that work. And then he goes on to young men. He says, young men, I want you to uh, be humble uh, because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to those who are humble. And so we should seek humility. God will exalt you at the proper time if you will uh, be walking with him in humility. Then we see he says that we should cast our anxiety on the Lord. That he cares for you. And then last week, you'll remember, we were talking about, then Peter talks about spiritual warfare, particularly talks about the adversity uh, that we have with Satan. Now, Satan, uh, children, is a fallen angel. He's an he's a archangel uh, who fell, and now he is an archdemon, a devil. Um, he is the primary adversary against the church. He is a spiritual being. Um, like any angel, he does not have a body, though angels can manifest the appearance of men. They are disembodied spirits. And so Satan, is a, like all demons, is a disembodied spirit. He is sometimes called the prince of this world. He still is allowed some measure of liberty for the the purposes that um, God has ordained, but he is not sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. Christ has overcome the devil uh, by his death on the cross and by virtue of his resurrection, and now it is Christ who is at the right hand of the Father. Many, uh, Some theologians have speculated that the reason the devil became the devil was because he wanted to be at the right hand of the Father, and that uh, it was Jonathan Edwards' view that he was offended at the idea that the Son of God should become a man, and as a man, sit at the right hand of the Father. Uh, because remember, we as men are created a little bit lower than the angels. 
And so here is a man uh, who is being elevated above all the angels. And uh, don't know, uh, Edwards is a genius, I'm not. And so uh, <laughs> I, I'm happy to defer to Edwards on, on that. But there probably is a little bit of speculation uh, mixed in there uh, with that view. But the devil prowls around, you'll remember, like a lion. And as we said last week, remember, you watch those National Geographic television programs, and as I said, the lion is not looking for a challenge, is he? He's not looking to see, well, which gazelle is the fastest? Who will give me the best run for my money? That the lion is looking for the vulnerable, uh, the ones who aren't paying attention, the ones who are drifting from the flock, the ones who aren't showing up to church, the ones who are skipping. And what happens when you miss? Well, you get further and further away from the people of God. And now you're an easier target. Lions are waiting in the, in the, in the thick grass, and they're watching the herd go by, and they're looking for a vulnerable one, a young one, maybe a, a stray here or there that they can pick off. And so what is Peter saying here? He's saying, you be of a sober spirit. You Christian, be on the what? The alert. You ever wonder why deer are always doing this? <laughs> it's because they have adversaries out there and they're skittish now i don't know that peter is telling you to be skittish but he is saying be sober be alert don't be drowsy don't be drunk don't be half asleep don't be sleepwalking through this world when you have an adversary like that but rather be alert be sober and resist the devil how do i resist the evil one by being firm in my faith in Jesus Christ, by putting my um, trust in Christ, by doing what Christ tells me to do, by obeying Christ. Obedience to Christ is not legalism. Uh, obeying Christ with evangelical obedience is what faith looks like. My faith in Jesus Christ looks like I'm seeking purposefully to obey the Lord. And we know that uh, the devil, when he does come at us, uh, we can. We have, we have the shield of faith, we're told, in Ephesians 6. That will, what, extinguish the flaming arrows. Um, the Bible says just resist the devil and he will flee. Um, and, and how do I resist him? Well, you look at what Jesus did and how Jesus simply said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Every time Satan came with a, a suggestion, a dark thought, and I do believe that Satan can uh, suggest dark thoughts to our own mind. Um, I don't understand this fully, but the Westminster Confession says that we should not hearken unto the suggestions of the evil one, so that the, the, the Westminster Confession seems to be teaching that it is possible for evil demons to try and get us to listen to them and to do their bidding. And of course, they're going to tell you things that you should not be doing. Well, how do I know? Well, how do I know, you know what I should be doing? I, I look at what the Bible says. And so you know, the Bible says, you know, um, 
do this, and thus saith the Lord. And I, and I, I don't fall into the trap of Eve. Eve, what did she do? She listened to the devil with one ear, and she's listening to God with the other ear. And we are supposed to be listening to what God has said. And, and we do what the Lord has said. So um, if people are trying to, young people, drag you down, well, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says beware, right? You know, bad company corrupts good morals. Um, if, if we are, you know, tempted to break the Sabbath, well, we say, look, we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto me. I'm, today is not a day to work. Today is not a day for profit. Today is a day to serve the Lord with gladness uh, in the Lord's day. Now, I want to move on. And I want to talk about the, the promise of glory that we have here in uh, verse 10. And I want to talk about the dominion of God as well in verse 11. So first of all, let's... Uh, talk here about the promise of glory. Look at verse 10 in your scriptures. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, Peter here again brings up this same subject that he's been bringing up throughout this letter. As you've been with me for many months in this letter, we have seen this time and again with Peter, and that is the subject of suffering. That This is not something Peter told us earlier is something that we should think strange. This is a world that has fallen. This is a sin-cursed world. This is a world filled with devils, as Martin Luther says in his hymn. And, and yet, uh, we are, as God's people, protected by his grace. But yet, we still have to suffer. The Apostle Paul had to suffer. The, the Apostle Paul had to, you know, just simply because he was the Apostle didn't mean he was exempt. You know, uh, Paul, we said earlier, Paul prayed that the thorn be taken away, and the answer was no. Paul had to leave a man sick at Miletus. You know, you would think if, if you thought you would ever be immune to sickness, he'd be traveling around with the Apostle Paul. Because all he has to do is lay hands on me, but... In the providence of God, obviously the answer was no, right? That, that this man was not to be healed at this time, at least through um, the apostolic laying on of hands. And, and this was coming from a man who did heal um, with apostolic power. You know, people were sometimes wanting even to, you know, touch their garment and get in the, under their shadow to be healed. So he says, after you have suffered for a little while, he says, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect you. So that we see here that suffering is in this present world. Now, this suffering here, uh, prior to glory, is not purgatory. It says, after you have suffered a little while. This is not speaking of purgatory, which is what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that you... Uh, live out your Christian life, and then after you die, you suffer this purifying purging of fire to cleanse you of the remaining corruption that is within you. And then after you've been purified by the fire, then you are admitted into the presence of God. This is not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches 
that the atonement of Jesus Christ is sufficient for us to enter into heaven. So that the Paul could say that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is no intermediate step between this life and eternity. This life and heaven or this life and hell for those who reject Jesus Christ. So we have to keep in mind that Jesus Christ is sufficient for you. His life, his death, his resurrection is sufficient. You must put all your weight on Jesus Christ and believe on the gospel, believe on Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he who believes from the heart uh, that Jesus is the Christ and uh, confesses that with his mouth, that person is saved. That person is saved. Saved unto what? Saved unto glory. Saved from eternal punishment. Uh, saved and, and immediately after death, upon death, comes into heaven. So this idea here of, of Peter um, saying after you have suffered a little while is, is not speaking about some kind of suffering in the future. But he's talking about what we experience presently in this world. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Notice that you have been called to glory in Christ immediately. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians says that to live is Christ and to die is what? Is gain. It's not purgatory. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I went to a Roman Catholic funeral last year, and while I was at that funeral, the priest said that the deceased was on a journey. And my Protestant ears perked up. And I said, what kind of journey is this? How is it that you die and you go on a journey? Well, they're, they're talking about dying and going through purgatory. And then, you know, after that, then you go. Then you'll be admitted into heaven. But what does that do to the work of Jesus Christ? What does that say about the work of Jesus Christ? It says that Jesus' work is not sufficient to gain you access into glory. Jesus' work is sufficient to gain you entrance into purgatory, whereby you will undergo various agonies for however long and then into glory. But is that the promise that Jesus gave the thief on the cross? No. He said, this day, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise, right? He said, you'll be in paradise. You'll be in glory. You will be in the world of love, as Jonathan Edwards called it. The magnificent world of, of beauty in the presence of the throne of God with the, the crystal sea coming before it and the, all the angels of the Lord praising God unceasingly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the great multitude of the saints who have gone before us from every tribe, tongue, and nation, the martyrs that are under the altar, praising and giving glory to God and to the Lamb who was slain, namely Jesus Christ. This is what John saw. <laughs> this is the hope that John had in the Revelation. This is what he gave to the church when the church was suffering in that first century over during the Neuronic, and by Neuronic I mean Nehru, 
uh, Nehru's persecutions. He gave a great hope. Christ gave us a great vision of, of glory through the Apostle John. And that is something that should probably be more on our minds, is the glory that is to come, the glory that is to be revealed. I think one of the problems of the evangelical church today is that we are so earthly-minded. Now, I'm all for having a Christian worldview, but I think sometimes we need to think more about the eternal glory in Christ that is spoken of here in verse 10. He has called you to what? To his eternal glory in Christ. This is what we are called to. We are called to a, a perfected world. And I think when we think more upon the perfection and the glory and the majesty of that world, I think actually the more effective we will be in this world. The more we think about the world to come, surely Jesus thought about heaven more than anyone. And he was the most effective human being ever. In the span of three years, his ministry changed the whole world. Jesus Christ's mind, as Paul would exhort Christians, was set on things above. Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Well, what is above, boys and girls? Well, heaven's above. God is above, Christ is above, glory is above, sinlessness is above, a world of sinlessness, a world of perfection, a world without any suffering, a world that has no uh, sorrows, no tears, every tear shall be wiped away from their eyes, we're told. The lamb shall wipe away every tear, he shall bring absolute a joy. The joy of the Lord will be overflowing. The glory of the Lord will be overwhelming to us. C.S. Lewis posited the idea that it's possible that we don't get more of a taste of glory because we would be tempted to suicide if we did. Glory, the glory is so overwhelming. And this is what... Peter says, we have been called by the grace of God. Notice that it is by grace alone, after you have suffered for a little while, the, the God of all grace. How do you get to this world of glory? By receiving it in Jesus Christ. Not earning it, not striving for it, not working for it, not trying to uh, earn it with fastings and prayers and uh, tithes and offerings. Remember, this is how the Pharisees tried to, to obtain the kingdom. I thank thee, God, that I'm not like other men. I don't do this, I don't do that, and I do all these other things. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that publican in the back. And it was the publican who was going to go to glory. It was the publican who was effectually called by the Spirit of God, because why? He saw his poverty. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. <clears throat> and Jesus says it is the publican who went home justified. And he who is justified, Paul tells us in Romans 8, is the one who will be sanctified. And he who is justified and he who is sanctified shall be glorified. We shall enter into glory. This is why 
though we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, our sanctification does matter. And without sanctification, without holiness, there is no seeing of the Lord. And therefore, we who are justified, we who trust in Jesus alone, we who look to Jesus alone for our salvation, we who trust not in our works to be right with God, nevertheless, we produce the works of God because of the grace that God has called us to. But it is by grace, notice here, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory. It is not you do your best and Christ does the rest. It is all of Christ. It is all of grace. All the glory belongs to God and not to us. It is he who has saved us, not we ourselves. It is, it is God who has done this by his grace, called you to eternal glory. And then it, notice here, will himself, he will be the one who does what? He, notice there are four things here. I'm reading from the New American Standard. The New American Standard tra translates these four things as one, perfect, two, confirm, three, strengthen, four, establish. Your version may have slightly different words. But first of all, he will perfect. He will perfect in you. That is, you will have a sinlessness, a perfection. We are fully justified in the sight of God presently by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but we have not entered into perfection. We, we still have the remnant of corruption within us. Um, Eustius et peccator. You know, sinner but justified, we say. And yet in the world to come, there will be no epeccator. We, we will not be sinner any longer. Uh, we will be perfected. This is the promise of, of the gospel. That is really, I'll, honestly, one of the greatest things I think I look forward to. Uh, will, when I wake up in glory, was that I will not have to deal with Boyd Miller anymore. And that I will not have to deal with me and my sin. And I, I will have completed the victory by the grace of God. And I will not have to worry about my obedience any longer. My obedience, your obedience, will be perfected. You, you will be um, as perfected in your obedience to God's commandments as the angels are in heaven. And so you will be perfected. Secondly, confirmed. Confirmed. What does that mean? It means that it is made sure, that it is certain. You know, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul um, uses the past tense when speaking about glorification. Now, why does he do that? He knows you or not. He knows that the church in Rome, at the time they're reading this letter in church, is not in glory. They're not perfected yet. Why does he say that you have been glor glorified? Because he is emphasizing the certainty of it, I'm convinced. That's the reason. He, he is emphasizing to the church that it's a done deal. The fact that you have the Spirit of God within you is the earnest. It is the down payment of that glorification that is to come. It is confirmed. It's made sure. It's a done deal. Thirdly, to strengthen. God has given us grace to strengthen us. This is, of course, a great encouragement because we feel the weakness of our faith. We feel the 
um, the corruption of and the ugliness of our sins that remain, and we we need that strengthening from the Lord. Many of us we've all experienced times of declension in our walk with Christ, where we don't seem to be as close to Jesus Christ, and then something happens, right? We come across a, a Christian book that is helpful. Maybe a friend says just a, a good word in due season, a, quoting you a verse from the scriptures, and then suddenly it seems as though there's new life in you. This is the, the promise of God, that he will strengthen us in, the, in those moments, and then establish you. This, what does it mean to establish? It means to achieve permanency, to uh, make permanent the work of grace in, in your life. So we do suffer in this world. We are embattled in this world. We do have an adversary in this world. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And the work of Christ, the work of God done on your behalf is greater uh, than the work of the adversary against you. And even greater than your own sin, as I said this morning. The work of Christ is greater than your work of sin. Now, I want to go on, then, Peter talks, after speaking about this promise of glory, secondly, to speak of the dominion of God. To him be dominion forever and ever. What is dominion? Dominion is the reign, it's the kingdom uh, of God. He's saying here that this glory is the glory of a kingdom. It's the glory of a reign. The reign of God and the reign of Jesus Christ at his right hand. It is the dominion forever and ever. Notice that he is saying this dominion is eternal in nature. The, the, the reign of God never ends. Do you ever worry, boys and girls, like, have you ever asked yourself, will God die? Maybe you've wondered, how long... How long will it go on? How long? And it's hard for us to fathom eternity, isn't it? And yet this is what the scripture says, that it cannot end. God is self-existent. He is, he is God. He has no beginning and no end. It is forever and ever. The dominion, the reign of God is, is everlasting. The creation, we are told, the psalmist says, will wear out like a garment. But the kingdom of God is forever. The kingdom of God will reign gloriously over the whole of the universe. Our newly created bodies raised from the dead will be able to do things that are wondrous and mysterious. For example, we get a hint of it when Jesus comes into the room, but he didn't open the door in the upper room, and he makes his appearance, and he says, Do not be afraid. And he says, touch me. I'm not a ghost. He has a real body. And yet, how did you do that, Lord? I don't know. But the Lord will give us a, a glorious body to serve in that kingdom. Uh, we will reign with Christ, we are told. Uh, we will judge with Christ in the, in the last day. Christ has promised us cities. Here again, uh, these things are somewhat mysterious, but the Bible says that if you are faithful in a few things, 
in your life as a Christian here, you will be given far greater things. The reward that God gives in his kingdom is far greater than we could ever think we should be given. That is, the Lord will give superfluously to us. Uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson has said that when we receive the kingdom's reward, we will wish we had done more for the Lord in this life. You have been faithful in these few things. I give you these cities. I'm giving you these cities. I'm giving you this mansion. You know, who you know, doesn't admire big houses when you drive past them. Wow, look at that house. That's amazing. You know, what, I wonder what it's like to live there. Listen, those things will be shanties compared to the dwelling that Christ is going to give you. Remember the, that old 80s show, The Lives of the Rich and Famous, with what's his name? Can't even remember the guy's name. And, you know, you, you, they show these lifestyles that, you know, very few people live. And uh, that, that is but dung compared to what God has put before us in, in his kingdom. What, what, will, what will be inherited by us in the kingdom uh, will be far, far greater, superior, quantitatively, qualitatively, than anything that we can build in this fallen world. The reign of God, the eternal reign of God, means that God will govern forever. God will uh, perfect the world that was lost by Adam and has been restored by the second Adam, Jesus Christ. God will usher in this glorious kingdom that has already begun in the church. Right now, it's hidden from the world. The world looks to money and power and privilege and prestige and beauty and yet what does God do? God builds his kingdom mysteriously and he hides it in very secret places oftentimes. Not invisible but maybe invisible to carnal eyes. The poor of this world will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are meek those who uh, have little maybe even in this world, but have great riches in Jesus Christ. You think about our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world who meet in very austere, humble, little places of worship. Some of you have been to these places. It's nothing but a concrete slab and some kind of pine, you know, well, not pine, but, you know, what we would call a pine bench, right? Doesn't even have a back on it. Just a bench for the seat. And yet, such is the kingdom of God, Jesus said. And, and so the, the kingdom, the reign of God, uh, begins like a mustard seed. It begins like leaven. It's hard to see sometimes. It, it is uh, small. It seems insignificant. CNN is never going to cover it. Uh, Drudge Report, you're never going to read about it on the Drudge Report. And yet Christ uh, is building that kingdom in this world. He's leavening this world, leavening the nations. And he's doing so almost, I don't want to say secretly, but it is veiled uh, to the world in, in many ways. 
but yet it is, a, it is embryonically the glory that is to come. The work that God does in his church is the beginnings of the glory that is to come. Do you realize that? That is, to put it this way, the Holy Spirit who works in you right now is, is building what will be revealed at the return of Christ. Right now, put it this way, you remember how Jesus would do some miracles and then he would almost seemingly run away? Right? He feeds the 5,000 and he's like, let's get out of here. They want to make me king. And you're like, Lord, why, why are you doing this? You know, and, and the reason is because Christ, number one, had to go to the cross. <laughs> but it was because of the, the, the people had this great misunderstanding that what kind of king he was. And that misunderstanding still prevails today. And I think that's why God does not call many who are mighty and noble. Um, and, and, and he doesn't call the, the one percenters, many of them. He does call some, but he doesn't call many, you know, of the, the one percent crowd. Uh, because in, in the same way, just as he veiled it in his earthly ministry, so it is in the heavenly ministry. Not many mighty, not many noble but were chosen, but the poor of the world were chosen so that he might put that glory within us, veiled from the world, but it is a glory nevertheless that it is there and it will be revealed at the last day. The dominion of God will be shown clearly on the last day, that which was always there, but the blind could not see and the deaf could not hear. But those who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit do see it. <coughs> and they do hear it in the gospel. And they know the shepherd's voice. And they do follow after Christ. But the work that the Holy Spirit does in the church, though it is veiled from the world, it is, a, it is a glorious work, and it, is, it, it, will, it will be revealed at the last day when Christ comes not in humiliation in his second coming, but in his exaltation. Jesus Christ will also, in his coming, reveal those who were truly belonging to him. And we will share in that exaltation and in that glory. And it will be evident to, I think, those who are the elect and to those who are the reprobate at that final day. <clears throat> the glory that even the non-believer sees in you from time to time, and they know something is different about you. They know that you're not like other people. They know that you uh, are, are, are more gracious than the world is. That, those little things, but th th they will see revealed. And then, then it'll be, if they have not received Christ, it'll be too late for them. His dominion <clears throat> will be uh, extensive uh, as well as intensive. It will, be, it will expand over the entirety of the world and the universe. Uh, that the kingdom of Christ will be uh, over all the earth that we, we are told in the Bible that uh, as the waters cover the sea, so shall the kingdom of God cover the earth. Now, ask yourself a question here, young children. You go to the ocean, all right? You go to Florida. You go to the beach. You go to Carolinas, wherever you go to the ocean. And you <clears throat> stand on the beach and you look at the ocean. Now you say to yourself, okay, now, 
this ocean that I'm looking at out there, how much water is on it? <laughs> right? Have you ever asked yourself how much water is on the ocean? Well, you say, boy, that's, that's silly. That, it is water. Well, and that's what the Bible is saying about how extensive the kingdom of God will be. That just as water covers the ocean, just as water covers the Atlantic or the Gulf that you look out on, so the kingdom of God will be in the final state. The kingdom of God will be everywhere. It will not just be in pockets, leavening. It will be completely leavened throughout every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The smallest of ethnic groups and people groups will uh, be a part of the dominion of God. God will include every uh, ethnic group in his kingdom. Uh, his kingdom includes every small little tribes. The remote tribes in the jungle or on distant islands are included in the kingdom of Christ. Christ will see to it that his elect are from all over the world. And that his elect will be, we are told, innumerable. John said in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, he said that he could not count how many there were. As far as the eye could see were the elect of God before the throne. It is, it is not a, a, a small number who are saved. It is a great number. His dominion is everlasting. Uh, it will have no end. It, it will not come to an end. This world will come to an end. This uh, earth as we know it will come to an end. Now, there will be a new earth. Now, how much proximity uh, is there between the old and the new? I do not know. The theologians are, debate that issue. That is, how much continuity is there between the world we presently know and the world that we know? What kind of fire is it that Peter will talk about in his other letter? Is it a uh, completely destructive fire where God then recreates a new earth? Is it a purging fire uh, that God brings forth from that fire, the new earth? We don't know exactly. People have ideas and can write papers on them, but, but from that will come the new earth. We have to realize, too, that the dominion of the Lord uh, includes the body. and You've heard me say this before. The kingdom of God is not merely, it is not ethereal. It is, it is, that is, it is, it is a spiritual kingdom, but it includes the material. That Jesus Christ has died for the body as well as the soul. And that the body is included in the salvation of God's, <clears throat> of the work of Christ. So this is how Peter, before his closing remarks and Really, he brings this letter really to a glorious climax, doesn't he? He, he shows us, he gives us a, a great and wonderful vision that we should uh, set our minds on. And all Peter can say after that, really, is the word amen. Notice there in verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's almost like the Apostle Paul in Romans 11. He, you know, he gets to that point of where he is overwhelmed with the uh, incomprehensibility of God's plan of salvation for the Jew and the Gentile. 
and he just breaks out into doxology. Peter's doing something similarly here, I think. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we'll finish uh, the remaining verses later. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this uh, opportunity to think about things that are glorious and eternal. We pray that the Spirit lift our minds up from the things of the earth. And Lord, that we might uh, spend more time thinking about the things that are to come, that we might live uh, more effectively in this world. In Jesus' name we're asking. Amen.